This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well. Thank you very much for tuning in as always and to the uh, the recent episodes. As always, they are available at your podcast provider of choice uh, or 3lionspodcast.com. Please do go check them out if you've not already done so. I'm hoping to get a review of the recent Arnold Clark Cup tournament out very soon. I'm just in the the throngs of putting all that together at the moment. Uh, Also working on some other episodes too, putting some feelers out there, speaking to various people. Uh, Plenty to hopefully come uh, in the next few months and weeks. Uh, But before I crack on with this episode... Some news that you may have missed. Uh, Firstly, something I'm sure many Travel Club members are already aware of, but I just thought I'd reiterate it. Italy away next month in Naples. Uh, Back on the 10th of February, it was announced by the England Supporters Travel Club that, and I quote, slightly paraphrasing, uh, the Italian Football Association had indicated that our allocation will be... 2,482 and that the stadium will have a reduced capacity of 48,467 for the match. Then on the 16th of February, ESTC announced that 5,048 members had registered for tickets. So demand has clearly outweighed supply. That is on the basis ESTC can't secure more tickets, which at more than double the original quoted figure, I find probably nigh on impossible. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, basically, uh, tickets will go to a ballot for those on less than, and I'm estimating, guesstimating here, uh, less than 2021 caps. Estimating, because at the time of recording, there has been no official announcement as yet. Uh, And as I think I've previously mentioned here on the pod, um, the ticket collection, ticket prices and various other details that we all rely on uh, haven't been made available as yet. ESTC have mentioned that they expect this sort of information to be not so readily available. Um, So, yeah, bear with them. But keep checking your uh, your emails and that sort of thing. Also, tickets have since gone on sale for the North Macedonia home match to be played at Old Trafford, Monday the 19th of June. I imagine Monday evening is going to be a bit of a pain all round. Uh, I don't remember many home matches being played on a Monday in recent memory. Someone's probably going to pull me up on that and, and tell me that there was one last year. Uh, but I can't think... Any, uh, Anyhow, that's not the major issue I have. And I appreciate that this is something that many fans who make the journey to Wembley from outside of the South have. It's the general transport costs or availability of trains coming back from Manchester. Uh, I had a quick look. It appears that the last one out of Manchester Piccadilly to London Euston is at quarter past nine, which is no good to anyone going to the match. Um So I basically have three options, and I assume probably be the same for many others. Uh, Stay over, get an early one back the following day, ready for work. I could drive and drive straight back afterwards. Uh, I could catch a coach. All are fairly feasible. Uh, It's not as if I've not done the journey before, but it got me thinking, if people are running coaches from wherever in the country, feel free to drop me a note. And I'm more than happy to give them a, uh, a mention on the pod. Uh, email me, threelionspodcast at gmail.com. And then I was thinking, uh, this isn't something I'm good at, um, but I wonder if all the planned coaches could be 
collated into a database come web page then you would select where you want, were coming from and you'd find the nearest coach being laid on it's probably more effort than it's worth especially just for one game but then if it was done the framework would all be in one place uh, and could be used for a later date because I often read on various forums facebook pages people saying they intend to run a coach from x location and there'll be someone else doing it from y location but you you look at these threads and they're all jumbled around all over the place if they were all to be in one place then you could just go to that and work out who's running a coach anyway that's just how my mind was working um and unless anyone else has any better suggestions for getting there uh, let me know. Flying, oh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem very sensible to me. Just a, a short hop up to Manchester from London. Uh, sort of thing that I would complain about teams doing. And then, as I predicted a while back, a friendly has been announced for Friday the 13th of October. Um, I didn't predict who the opponents would be, but I did predict that there would be another one added. Uh, the opponents, Australia. Uh, in fact, the Aussies, or should I say the Matildas, uh, have also been announced as opponents for the Lionesses too for a friendly in April at Brentford. I'll take a look at that one nearer the time. But with this senior men's fixture, the 2023 calendar is now complete. And I have to say, with the greatest of respect to Australia, it seems a little underwhelming Ranked 27th in the world, they finished second in their group at the Qatar World Cup, then lost 2-1 to the eventual winners Argentina. I'm struggling to think what we could learn from playing them. The Socceroos, as they are known as, uh, I'm guessing it would probably be more beneficial for them. I'm sure they'll make the, the journey worthwhile by playing other games in and around Europe, but it seems a fair distance to lug a load of kit um, across the world. And I think the vast majority of their squad generally play in Europe, so they won't have to come far. Um, and likewise, England and London has quite an Australian community. Perhaps I'm being a little negative hopefully it doesn't go the same way as the scheduled new zealand fixture from last year year before went on the history front on that particular fixture it will be the eighth time the two nations have met previously england have won four there have been two draws and one defeat uh, that was some time ago now when we lost at west ham's old upton park in 2003 that was Wayne Rooney's debut. My word, there'll be people going to England games now uh, who weren't even born when that game was played. Uh, and then the last time we played was in 2016. Marcus Rashford's debut, where he scored after three minutes as we won up at the Stadium of Light in Sunderland. And of those seven games, we have never met at Wembley. Uh, we've played five down under. I wouldn't expect an immediate reciprocal match, though, as we're, we're yet to return to the likes of Romania, Austria, the States, Costa Rica, Nigeria, all those from recent friendlies. Be good, though, wouldn't it? Australia away. I've said before that I love reading England fan-written books, those that document England games, those away trips as well, through anecdotes and memories. And I've read a fair few, and they're all written by Englishmen. That is, until now. I swallowed the cold beans and looked around the small custody cell. Some sort of toilet in the corner, a mattress on top of some wood on the other side. That was it. Not exactly the Ritz, but hey, you made a bed, now sleep in it. How did I end up here? How did a passion for football from a young age take me to a small custody cell in Birmingham, awaiting my police interview? 
Life is funny that way, isn't it? One second you stood with your maids on top of a table and on top of the world, singing your hearts out, and the next, you're arrested for football-related violence. Life is a wild ride, so you better wear a seatbelt. And I had forgotten mine this sunny afternoon in March. Azza, we're set to go. Are you ready? The police officer's voice came from the other side of the big, thick door. I swallowed the last bit of baked beans along with all of my pride and stood up from the floor. I put my hand through my long blonde hair, took a deep breath and walked towards the door. Yes, sir, I'm ready. That was the voice of Luton and England fan, Azza Fogelberg. And it's my pleasure to welcome her to the Three Lions podcast. Azza, hello. Hello, Russell. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm good, thank you. Cool. Three Lions and a Kitten. It's a short story about a long love. It's a fantastic book. Well done on it. I know it's only sort of just recently come out. How did all of this come about? How long did it take? What's the process? And tell us just to to, to begin with about the book. I mean, the stories have always been in my head. You know, when you sit on a flight on the way back from a game, you can't sum it up in your head and you think to yourself, oh, you know, it's like you put it in your little memory bank. Um, It came about 2020 uh, during lockdown. So lockdown projects. Um, started writing it at work. We were terribly quiet. There weren't any meetings, nowhere to, nothing to do. So I sat in my office a lot. So I started writing it. And it just came to me. It's one of them books that really writes itself. Right. So the actual writing wasn't so hard. It was still the process, you know, finding someone to edit it, um, finding someone to design the book cover, and then the long process of, publishing it (laughs) so three years yeah two and a half really but uh, it's been a long labor of love well it's certainly come out that way it's uh, it's a great book but now let me let me throw in the curveball for those that may not be aware of you or or know you you're from Sweden I am and I think (laughs) (laughs) that's really what put an edge to this story because you know as much as we love reading about people going to football, because I do, I love all of it. But I think the fact that I am not from here, <laughs> it really is that kind of question mark. Why? Well, well, let's let's start. Why? Um, I am going to put it all on my father. Um, <laughs> he, growing up, he was a fanatic football fan. Uh, not just England, any football, you won't find a man who is more into his football than my father. Um, he appreciates it through pure form. Um, I think back in 1969, when he was 10, they started to air football directly from England in the afternoon on a Saturday in Sweden, and he was hooked. Oh. That was it. Um, Nottingham Forest came to our small town in Sweden to play and uh, they became his team and he's followed England ever since fanatically and as we started showing interest in football me and my brother it was installed in us that England that's where football comes from that's who you follow and we never really questioned it just went with it (laughs) I see what's what's your dad's name just to give him a name check my dad's name is Stefan oh well well, good on Stefan um he's he's taken you on a uh on a journey, or well, many a journey together um, through through reading the book. Yes. Now, obviously, being over in Sweden and and watching games on the telly, yeah, uh, some of the the games there was a, a little conflict where England would play Sweden. Absolutely. There was one game that you mentioned. It was one game that I I remember going to back in two thousand and two in the World Cup. It was the opening yeah. game or England's opening game um, against Sweden. Um, and you were you were at high school at the time. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And I think this is when my true feelings was, you know, properly established. Before then, people were a bit like, oh, OK, yeah, you like English football. But the day after we played, um, I had about a week or so left of high school before I was graduating 
and I showed up in an England top the day <laughs> after. It was a draw, as you remember, and, you know, proudly parading it around the halls. And people thought, what? What are you doing? And I think that's when they realised that, okay, she's she's about something else here. You know, she, she means business with this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so I, I can't imagine supporting another country no. in in England. Um, but I, I appreciate that everyone is different and everyone has their own reasons for doing it. Um, but, yeah. yeah, to turn up in a uh, in an opposing nation shirt, um, yeah. take some guts and I, I take my hat off to you. Yeah, I mean, my dad would do the same. He worked... Uh, in the city council, you know, in a higher position. And he would wear his England top. <laughs> Whether he had meetings or not, he didn't care, the top would come on. So I think, again, it goes back to my father and his sort of approach to life that, you know, doesn't matter what people think, you do what you want to do. Yeah, no, fair play, fair play. So as you began to to grow older, the bug began to grab you harder as, as it does to all, all England supporters yes. and right I want to go to a game yeah. want to experience Wembley or something obviously for you it was slightly different so yeah. how did your England journey begin as it were I mean it was me continuously nagging at my father we must start going um, I mean, it's not in the book, but we actually did go to a game in Sweden when England played a friendly against Sweden in Gothenburg. Uh, I think it might have been the year before 2005, but uh, we never met up with any fans. We weren't part of the England travelling club. We just went as two neutral people. Mm. After that, I said to Dad, we've got to join England fans. Let's just do it. Um, we went ahead and did. Um, and I suppose the rest is history. We went to Denmark that first game and that was it. You know, we had been on the forum for a few months chatting to people. It was a bit hard because there was a lot of questioning. Of course. Um, but there was a nice group that took us on and we had arranged to meet up with them in the pub when we went to Denmark. And they kind of welcomed us with open arms. And after that, there was no going back. Absolutely not. Despite the result and their humiliation uh, <laughs> that night. I think we both knew when we sat on that bench on the way back that this, this is it now, this is the beginning of something big. And mum knew it as well when we got back that, okay, they've gotten on a train now that we cannot stop. <laughs> because your first experience of an away game, as you said, going to, to Copenhagen, very sort of similar to mine in the fact that you – you spent the night on the bench. Uh, I remember doing exactly the same when I went yeah. to. Uh, actually, it wasn't my first away game. It was. It was. I don't know. A second or third. Spending the night on a bench in Barcelona, um, and you've done exactly the same um, yeah. with your dad in in Copenhagen. I think uh, it's something all fans can relate to. At one point, we have all been on that bench. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so it was. You met all in a in a pub, and I, I'm guessing that you were you were quite lucky that you found these fellow fans who have ultimately turned out to be long term England fans and, and friends as well. Definitely. I mean, let's say we hadn't spoke to people beforehand and hadn't introduced ourselves. We had just showed up as two foreigners to the pub. It might have been a different story, could have been yep. a different welcome, and we might have been put off. So, you know, we've got a lot to thank this bunch of people for really, really embracing us. So that was the first away game. And yep. being being in, in Denmark and Copenhagen was was relatively simple to get to from Sweden. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But then came getting to to England. Yep. And obviously that involved flying of which something you'd never done before we never did no I mean <laughs> back in Sweden you, you had simple holidays you, you never jet off on any planes anywhere so for us this was a big step uh I mean my dad he'd never flew me either even though he was you know in his mid-40s 
so for us, that was a big thing and nerve-wracking, really. <laughs> so what, what were those games that you came over to see? We played Austria and we played Poland in the qualifiers. So this was for the 2006 World Cup, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yes. So, so t- I think t- it was October 2005. It- so and it was this was a time when when Wembley was being rebuilt. So yeah. you'd come over to Manchester, and yeah. what was the the feelings then? You you finally made it over to to England. What what was the overriding emotions of um, of just being in England? It was. I mean, without sounding you know too cheesy, when we were coming in with the plane, I remember looking. Because we came through the clouds really fast and all of a sudden all this greenery opened up under us and I thought, we're in England, something I've dreamt about since I was a little girl. Um, it was just fantastic. Despite the fact that Dad had booked us into a very murdery hotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think that was part of the charm, really, you know, uh, stepping into those doors that night wrapping a little quilt around you that had bag burns all over it. There was a weird smell in the room. Uh, Dad was, you know, throwing timber as usual. And um, it was just one of them that you felt like, this this is fantastic. Welcome to England. Welcome to Manchester. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, well the, the results were, were positive because we obviously made it towards the the, the World Cup in 2006 did, being held yeah. in Germany. And I think it was about it was about this time that you you were so committed to England that you uh you had it inked on yourself, didn't you? <laughs> yes. So it would have been a few months before we went to Germany in the World Cup. I mean this is before the whole tattoo trend and people having tattoos. So yeah. Me going to this woman on a back street to get, you know, Forever England on my arm, that was quite a big step from having just watched it on TV at home. I mean, it, it kind of all just ran away with me that summer. Well, this uh, was in a Swedish tattoo parlour, was it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> she, she, she sort of questioned it a little bit, but, you know, she was very old. There was rumours that her eyesight was, you know, failing. <laughs> it probably wasn't the best quality of a tattoo either, but I did not care. It was there on my arm and it was my pride and joy that summer. Wow. Well, that World Cup came around and, and for the second World Cup in a row, we faced Sweden. Um, yeah. You didn't get tickets for the, for the games and yeah, you watched them in the fan park, didn't you? Yeah, we had only been going for a short time and because of the cap system, which is a very fair system, to be honest, uh, we weren't given a chance. We had tickets to a few non-England games that we were attending just to get the atmosphere. When it came to the actual England games, we were watching it in a fan park in Frankfurt. Yeah. And they had set that up in a way that it genuinely felt like you were, you were part of it. There was a big screen in the middle of the river and they put football stands up along the river, so you sat there on the stand with all the other football fans and you. It was fantastic. The atmosphere was absolutely buzzing. Yeah. Now, I I saw a couple of – I don't think I saw any of the games in Frankfurt on the on the big screen. Um, I went to, to Leipzig and there was somewhere else I went to – or Berlin I went to. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was a, a fantastic World Cup. Obviously – Obviously, England fell fell at the what was it the quarterfinal stage? It was Portugal yeah. again. Yeah, Portugal again. That was um, that was Ronaldo's wink, wasn't it? That was Ronaldo's wink, which I was bitter about for about a decade. I'd say, you know, that <laughs> think, really that really stuck with me. I think we um, all, whenever we see Ronaldo as England fans, the first thing that comes to our mind is is that damn wink. It's the wink and the emotions that you've attached to that wink as well. Yeah. Yeah. By now, you had started to accrue some some caps, which is yeah. what England fans 
uh, will will know about. You get like your loyalty caps for for following England home and away, um, which ultimately helps us in in securing sort of tournament tickets. Um, yeah. But obviously, to to get these caps, you've got to go to the games. Okay. Now, there's a uh, a couple of games that you you mention in the book. There's Macedonia, which sounds like a, a good crack, and one a game that I didn't go to. And then there was Russia in yeah. 2007. Now, the book is sort of builds up to this moment and what it becomes of of you, really, isn't it? Yeah. Do you wanna yeah. do you wanna tell us what what you want to about that period of time? Um, I mean, it was a sort of turning point because for me, before Russia, football had been pure joy. I mean, even I mean, I know the heartache when you lose, obviously not joy, mm. but you know, going to games, seeing your friends, traveling around the world to watch England, it was just associated with joy. And I think Russia took that away from me for quite a long period of time. It's not, it's not even so much the fact that I was attacked. That bit isn't something I can remember. I've heard, you know, people who was around talking to me about it, telling me what went down, but it's not in my memory. The taxi ride, however, is something that kind of plagued me for years to come. Um, sometimes unknowingly, I would get in a taxi could have been five, six years later, and I would get that panic feeling again. And I would realise that it's still, it's still affecting me. And it, it still does a little bit today. Sometimes I am incredibly funny when it comes to taxis, taking taxis. If my children were to get in a taxi, so no, it's just one of them. It just still kind of haunts me. Yeah. Um, I think I was very... Um, keen on not turning it into a thing didn't want it to be something that people pitied me for but it turned out to be something that you know shaped me for years for years to come because basically you you came out of the the uh, the airport in moscow and yeah. had arranged to to meet some friends at a certain part of of, of Moscow or, or something along those lines, and you got in a it probably what, what became an unmarked taxi alone, yes. single female on your own in the taxi, going the wrong way, yeah, knowing that things had the potential to go very wrong, yes. And I think you you sit there in the taxi, and obviously, you check out the route beforehand. This is before we had you know GPS, you could yeah. check it out and stuff but we are looked at the computer beforehand I knew it wasn't a long ride um there were so many red flags that I just ignored because a lot of times in life you you overthink things and, and you kind of tell yourself oh you're being silly now that's obviously not the case so I think I told myself that despite all the warning signs being there he never really paid attention to what I was saying. I had my little hotel written down on a note. He didn't want to look at that. Turned the music up loud. Was avoiding any conversation, just driving. And I think when it had been sort of around the 40, 45 minute mark, and I realised that we were way out of town, that that's when that panic started to really set in. Yeah, it's it's quite the ride. And I mean that in the in the sense of how you've written it in the book. That yeah. it's like you you're gripped on it um yeah. it's unfortunately you you got out and are, and are here to tell the tale yeah. but the as you say just before that the the next was it the next day you you were then unfortunately attacked outside your hotel or hostel yeah same evening so same evening. Oh. <laughs> um my very good friend, uh, as you know from the book, Chess, obviously came and met me after I jumped out of the car. Uh, I think that whole procedure was about two, three hours. Um, we were both drained. He went back with me to the hotel. 
I remember him saying, you know, oh, are you okay? Will you be all right? Usually I would have gotten ready to go out and meet all my friends as originally planned, but I thought I can't hack it. I am absolutely drained. Mm. So I decided to call it a night, go up my room, sleep it off, and then meet everyone the next day. Um, there was a very, very poor reception in my room, so I took my phone to make some phone calls. I walked around the hotel complex. Evidently, that was enough to draw attention to me. We've been told beforehand not to wear collars, not to kind of walk alone. I thought it'd be okay walking around the hotel complex, but it just wasn't. And it's hard for me to retell it because it's blurry. Yeah. But there was a, there was voices, there was a hit to the back of my head, and the rest is just a blur. Uh, I don't think I was completely unconscious because I can remember certain things. It's like when you're half sleeping on a plane, you can right, hear yep. announcements in the background, but you're not quite awake. It felt like that a bit. And then obviously waking up in that back room, having some woman dabbing away at your face, not speaking much English. It's a surreal experience and it's hard for you to work through it because you can't quite remember it. So it became one of them things that I just didn't know what to do with it. So I kind of stuffed it at the back of my head. Yeah. Um, still went up and went to the game the next day because I thought I'm here now. You know, I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah. So the whole next day, the match day, was also just plagued by constant clashes, people getting into, you know, fights with the Russians. They were lurking down the roads behind. It was like a war zone out there, really. It's, it's not something that me at that age, coming from Sweden, living quite a sheltered life, had ever experienced before. How old were you at the time? Oh, 2007, I must have been 21. Wow. Yeah. So then, say you'd seen the game, um, had that horrific experience, mm. come back to Sweden, and then you were sort of the, the next few years, was it, where you were contemplating coming over to England, yeah. and ultimately you did, didn't you? Yeah. You, you came over to... To Birmingham area, hence your uh, that that Birmingham twang in your accent, yeah. And took in a, another game, uh, an English Premier League game. Was it Aston Villa against Spurs? It was. Yes, this is roughly a year into living in England. So we're now in two thousand and nine. I think it was early spring, March time. Right. Um, friends were coming up from London to watch Villas first. And I thought, I'll tag along, you know, mm. football. And things didn't quite go to plan that day. Go on. What, what happened? Um, obviously, I was still in quite a dark place. I didn't know it, didn't acknowledge it, thought everything was fine. Been in, been a year and a half. Yeah. Um, but we started early. We drank quite heavily. Um, and I kind of got lost from my friends. So I just attached myself to another group of people as we were walking to the stadium. Uh, there was a nasty atmosphere already. People were starting to, you know, chuck bottles. The police was coming. They were blocking everybody. People were trying to push through. And I, I got caught up in it. And I think I was carrying a lot of anger at that time. Um, and it just came out in a, in an ugly way. And as the peer, as the person next to me was wrestled to the ground, I was told I wasn't getting in either because I was, you know, with this group of Spurs fans. And um, someone grabbed my shoulder, and uh, that was enough for me. Um, I I sort of went for him. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say I floored police officer. I'm not that strong. <laughs> I did, I did, I did hit him, and yeah. obviously that is absolutely enough for them to then with force wrestle you to the ground in the back of the police van, and that was it. You know, I was being arrested, football violence, and I was locked up for the night. And that's where we we come round to the what we started with the chat is 
um, where uh, where you found yourself in that cell, yeah. um, waiting to uh, to hear what your fate would be. Yes, I think that to me was probably the absolute biggest turning point. I mean, I I lost track of time. I must have been arrested in the afternoon, obviously before kickoff. Uh, this was sometime around midnight, I'd say. So I'd sobered up. Well, I've been left in the cell long enough to really be able to think, what have you done? You know, you are in this cell. You have punched a police officer at a football game. What sort of trouble have you got yourself into? And I think there was a lot of self-reflecting that afternoon. Uh, It wasn't a pretty time by any means. So with that, comes the uh the football banning order doesn't it and then it basically your your membership with the england supporters travel club um yep. goes doesn't it it did and i think you would argue that i, I did get left off lightly because we all know if this has been a big bloke you know that punched a police officer i, I don't think they would have gotten away with just withdraw membership but I think I think they took pity on me really, which which is even sadder really, because I, I was obviously just a pitiful little <laughs> state. And um but to me having my membership took off me, I think it was one of the worst punishments I could imagine at this at this point. Yeah. Um probably needed, I probably needed that to step away from it from a bit to kind of recuperate and regained that love for football that I'd lost these past few years. But back then, right then when it happened, it was it was devastating. I can well imagine. Yeah. Well, fast forward to 2010, you find yourself living in England now, mm-hmm. um, and you've got a son and a daughter, Freddie and Mia. Yeah. A few years later, after your your ban has sort of expired. Um, you're back at Wembley, sort of yeah. in a, the whole circle sort of evolves. Instead of um, your dad, Stefan, taking you, uh, it's now you taking young Freddie to the football. Yes, yes. And what I a think, feeling. <laughs> exactly. Something up there. I think that's one of the absolute happiest, happiest times of my life when I got, to get on that coach with my son, we stepped off. You know, when you come into London on the coach, you could see the Archer Wembley, um, saw that look in my son's eyes. He had the same look later on that afternoon when we took those last little steps up and Wembley opens up in front of you. I mean, you can't you can't describe the feeling unless you you know you've been there yourself. And I think that is that beauty of that circle of life. You feel like wow I've been here before but with my dad now I'm here with my son and it's just it was a big day probably bigger for me than it was for my son <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's so many other things in the book that I'd love to chat about but at the same time I want other people to to sort of read the book and experience it for themselves I don't want to give away too much <laughs> no. um but what I want to sort of ask is and it's something that isn't in the book when the World Cup in 2018 came around, Russia, what, what were your thoughts then? Obviously, there was the whole Russian incident beforehand. Were you tempted by that? Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, I still, by this point, hadn't rejoined the England fans. Uh, when I went 2016 with my son, uh, we got tickets of someone else who was a member, mm. you know, passed it on to me. Um, we hadn't rejoined, it wasn't on a cap system. Obviously, with it being in Russia, I came with conflicted feelings for me. I decided it wouldn't be it wouldn't be appropriate to go. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be there again, if I'm honest. So it was one of them tournaments that I decided to watch at home. And it it really was quite a summer, wasn't it? Yes. Think, you know, the opening game against Tunisia. Uh, that late winner that we got after thinking, gosh, are we are we drawing to this now? <laughs> we had a triumphal Panama. Well, you must a bit of a, you know, let's forget about that. 
And then we went on to defeat one of our big brain ghosts, didn't we? By yeah. winning penalties against penalties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we got Sweden. And again, that's another thing that England's always struggled with is Sweden. So to beat them 2 0, I think finally I got to send that text message to my friends. You know, <laughs> we got you. We finally got you. Um, probably wasn't so gracious in victory then. <laughs> and then on to the Croatia game. Remember, we went into a pub in Solihull to watch it, me and my friends. And when Trippier scored that early goal, you thought, wow, we are doing it. We are living this, you know. We all know that didn't end so well. Um, there was a little bit of a moment in the pub that day, I'm not going to lie, that my temper was again, <laughs> you know, um, showing itself. I remember, uh, I'm a big crier, triple, I'm not going to lie. I was crying in a the corner. There were some girls there that had obviously only just attached themselves to the buzz of it. Sat there laughing, having a laugh. And I remember thinking, I'm going to lose my temper now. <laughs> I'm sitting there laughing and I'm crying. But we made it out of the pub. There was no uh, there was no football violence this time. And that, though, that lingered with me. I took a few days off work <laughs> um, to get over that. Then I went and got Garrett Southgate's waistcoat tattooed on my <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <thing. laughs> and uh, I've written the letters soon under it as if to say you know not now but soon and that's something people still mock me about because they say when then when is this happening you know you're delud- deluding yourself but <laughs> oh. I think that tattoo and the fact that it was ordered a waistcoat from Amazon um, it just proves that I was once again really really wrapped up in it really and, uh, committed the year later is when I then rejoined England fans travelling club together with my son and we decided oh, we're, we're going for it now. We're back. Because that was the year of the Euros. Yes. 2020, ultimately 2021. It was a it was a funny old time, not just for football fans, obviously, but for, for the whole world. Yeah. Um and we were all frustrated that because obviously the Euros, we knew it was going to be sort of pan-European, and but Wembley was going to host a, a fair few England games, so it's going to be like a home tournament. Mm-hmm. Where where did you sit on all of this? How how did it pan out for you? Were you getting tickets? Um, yes, I mean it was an emotional roller coaster from finding out that the original tournament was postponed. Then we had tickets for the opening game against Croatia. Originally, we lost those. And I sort of thought both me, my son and my dad had tickets um, for a few of the games. We lost all those. Um, and we thought, well, I resigned to the idea that I'm not going to be watching this tournament yeah. live. So it was a bit bitter about it to start with. But then... We kind of reapplied and found out we got tickets. And I think that that was that was a fantastic feeling, you know. The pandemic is slowly easing off. We're going to be back at football. It's a tournament. We'll be at Wembley. Um, I think those were probably one of the best summers of my life, really. Uh, yeah. going to Wembley with my son standing there in the crowd. Um, I have a video that I video just before the Denmark game. All oh, yeah. the fans are singing Southgate, you're the one. And the man in front of me is overcome with emotion. He <laughs> is down his cheek. And I always say, don't that just sum it up. You know, we were back and it was just fantastic to be there. Yeah, that, that Denmark game. Yeah, there was the Germany oh. game as well. I was uh, at that one as way, well. Yeah. And, you know... That was big as well, beating them, knocking them out, because, you know, we always got that rivalry with the Germans. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, that was a big day. And I didn't know then that I had ticketed a Denmark game. Uh, it was something that we kind of like last minute applied for and got. So that in itself was just a big, big buzz as well. Yeah. Um, we missed out on the final, uh, which looking back at it, I'm glad 
I'm glad we weren't standing there because at least the memory of being at Wembley with my son, watching us go into the final is untarnished now. I can lock that away, it's fine. Um, the final was a, a different experience. Um, I think that was really hard to mark, to be in a final and to lose the way we did. Again, the penalties. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch, watch that in the pub as well? We did. I went with my other half, um, his friends, and I took my son. I didn't take my daughter because I thought, you know, probably if we lose, it's not the environment for her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were there. And uh, I think watching my son cry as the penalties was playing out in front of us, it's, it's one of them where, again, you get that feeling of have been here before. Me crying, my dad comforting me, here I am comforting my own son, crying at football. And again, it is that circle of life and um, everything kind of coming to full circle, as they say. Yeah, he's he's in good company crying at football. I mean, I, I hold my hands up. I remember crying yeah. at, the, uh, at the 1990 penalty shootout, watching that oh. on telly and going to oh. bed crying. Um, oh. It happens. It's football. It does. And I, and I always say, you should never be ashamed of your emotions at sports. It just shows that you're passionate about something. You care about something. Let's go for it. Let it all let it all out. Absolutely. Well, great, great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, sort of right up to, to date. Yeah. We are we're almost on the verge of a another qualifying campaign this time we for are. the for the European Championships to be held in Germany 2024 yes. are, you, are you back on board once again Absolutely. with the England supporters um we have just renewed our membership me and my son um so we will be going at the Ukraine game uh at Wembley next month that's right. our next game um, me and my son have elaborate plans to take him out of school and go to the Moved that game in June. Oh, yeah. So we're working on convincing his dad that this is this is worth it. It's worth missing school over. <laughs> See how we get on with that. Um, and then there'll be a few home games. I might do a day trip to Macedonia. Uh, be good to return. Obviously, it's not as easy anymore with children, work, commitments to just go for three, four days. But I always try and squeeze it in when I can. Yeah. Obviously, we're planning on Germany next summer. My dad is retired, which means he has these massive plans on being there for the month. I'm trying to explain to him that I cannot take a month for work. Uh, my son cannot take a month for school. Um, so we probably be flying back and forth. If that's, he's stationing himself in Germany, we'll be dipping in and out for the games. That's that's the thing with Germany. It is quite easy to uh, to get back and forth from yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, and they do. I've got to give it to them. They know how to host the tournament. That is true. They do know how to host a tournament. They've really got the infrastructure. Do. They've got the yeah. stadiums. They're passionate, mm. just as we are. Um, organised people as well. There's nothing's left to chance. It's all organised, and you know what you're getting. <laughs> That's right. And and they do good beer. They do. They do fantastic beer, actually. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other chapter, but you can ask my dad about it. He had his fair share in Germany, 06. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, and, and it wasn't beer, was it? It was the apple wine that he bought from his underground uh, little shop and smuggled <laughs> in his suitcase, kind of briefcase, into the Irish bar where we drank every night. And, I mean, he must have consumed litres. I'm surprised he recovered from that. He won't like me saying that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, you, you'll have to read the book to uh, to find out more, to, to find out what it was like to, I don't know, sit next to Henrik Larsson to uh, to hear <laughs> about a certain Bill Hopkins. You'll have to oh, yeah. um, hear, read all about this. But I'll tell you this one thing, um, just quickly, Luton Town. How did that yes. come about? Luton Town, the second love of my life, uh, bane of my life. Um, my granddad uh, was big on Luton, so it was Luton, Fulham and Ipswich that was always shown on the TV <laughs> right. in the 80s. And he had a soft spot for Luton, so whenever you know we watched football together, it was Luton Town. I jumped on it. Um, 
And I mean, that would probably have to be a separate book. My <laughs> adventures with Luton, flying back and forth, watching us get relegated, 30 point deduction. I've got Luton tattooed on my hand, actually. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's another very, very dedicated uh, passion of mine. I don't go as often as I'd like to because obviously it's easier to follow England. Yeah. It's not as often. Luton is every weekend. My son plays football, he plays for Blues. So we are there every weekend. I don't unfortunately have the time to go as much as I would like to, but I go when I can. And um, I'm hoping that this will be the year where we will get promoted back up where we belong. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to uh, to reading a book along the lines of the Hatters and a Kitten or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, There's some stories there, I can assure you. Oh, I look forward to it. As a, tell us where we can buy the book. You can buy the book on Amazon. You just go and type in Free Lions and a Kitten in the search bar and it will come right up. It's a uh, it's a great book. It's a and I mean this in the in the nicest of ways. It is an easy read. I read it in no, a couple of days. Um, it really is. And I say this to people who who feel daunted, who don't usually read that. It's it's not. You know, it's not a complicated fancy book. It's essentially me and my stories in book form. You know, it's just like having a chat with me, but I'm not there. <laughs> well, it comes across perfectly. Thank um, you. Asa, thank you very much for, for joining us on the Three Lions podcast. If you say you're coming to the to the Ukraine game, um, it'd be good to to say hello beforehand because I'll be absolutely, there. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I'll arrange to have a beer before. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yes, thank you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Wow, what a girl. What a story. What a book. Uh, Thanks to Azza there for her time. Her book is called Three Lions and a Kitten. Uh, It's available through Amazon, as she said. Just search that title. It'll come up. That's it from me for this episode. Once again, thank you very much for joining me. Don't forget, you can follow the show on various social media channels. As usual, just search The Lions Podcast. Give it a follow or a like, whatever you need to do. Uh, if you've got any suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. Always happy to try and provide what people would like to hear. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'll be back very soon with a review of the Lionesses in the Arnold Clark Cup. I hope you can join me for that one. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.